We're ready for Deuteronomy chapter 3 tonight. We're going to pick up where we left off exactly last week. Um, The Lord said that if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And I just want to share, as far as our church is concerned here, you know, part of our vision is that we would um, draw all men unto Jesus and that Jesus would draw all men unto him. And our vision for each one of you and for our body here is that, you know, I, 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 I want to focus on two things in, in, in doing church and in raising up disciples and training disciples is that um, we, um, we teach people to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul and to love their neighbors themselves. And for us as Christian people, it, it always has to be a focus. And my brother shared it and, and, and I'm sharing it and, um, you know, and I have to be reminded of it. But lives change, people grow when we fall in love with Jesus, when, when, when people love Jesus. And, and that has to be your focus as a Christian person is, is a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that we know the Lord, that, that we have intimacy with him. And um, I heard this thing today on the radio and someone was saying that thing where um, I think it was Nietzsche said, God is dead. And they told somebody, God is dead. And the guy was like so shocked. He's like, no, he's not. I talked to him this morning. He was, he was well. He wasn't even sick. What do you mean he's dead? He's not dead. He's alive. He's alive and he's well. And, um, and, and as we just focus on, again, you know, our community here as a church, that our community here as a church needs to be love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and love our neighbors ourselves. So we're going to see that here in Deuteronomy. Um, again, Deuteronomy is the second telling of the law. It's, it's a repeat of um, of the law. It's not a new law or a second law in that respect, but it's a retelling of the law where Moses is going to go through. You guys remember Moses, who God calls him in the burning bush. And what did Moses tell God there in the burning bush about his speech? He said, he said, I can't talk. I can't speak what, you know, and, and, and some of the rabbis, some of the, the, the rabbis and um, um, scholars, uh, Hebrew scholars, you know, we know that Moses had a stutter and that, that he did have a, a problem with his speech. But some have said that what Moses was telling the Lord was that he didn't have the ability to politic. He didn't have the ability to cunningly go to Pharaoh and say things that were political and untrue and schemy and swarmy to try to get done what God wanted him to do. And he said, I'm not that guy. I don't have that ability is the way some of the rabbis have interpreted what Moses meant when he said to the Lord, um, I, I'm unable to speak. But, but I really believe that Moses was either anxious or um, it does say he had a stutter and that, you know, developed it. But here we have the same Moses. And later in his life, he's 120 years old. We know Moses's life breaks up into three perfect 40-year periods. He was um, born in Egypt. His, his parents put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile. The, the daughter of Pharaoh rescued him. He was raised as the as the... Um, grandson of Pharaoh and a, and, and a leader in, in Egypt, trained in all the ways and everything Egyptian, the finest schools, and, and was basically a prince in Egypt until he was 40 years old. At 40 years old, he killed a, a, an Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew slave, and, and he fled into the, to the wilderness in Midian. And he spent from 40 to 80 as a shepherd, just shepherding and, and a very humble life. He took a wife there. He had a father-in-law there. He had kids there. And at 80 years old, God appeared to him in a burning bush and told him to go back to, to Egypt and that he was going to be God's spokesperson to let the, the, the people go. And then from 80 to 120, he dies at 120. He spends 40 years wandering in the wilderness with the children of Israel. So now he's 120 years old and he can speak now. He, he is um, long-winded, and, and this, this is one big, long sermon given um, in the winter time in the plains of Moab, maybe over about a month period of time where Moses shared this, these things with the people as they were getting ready to enter the promised land um, for the final time. The book of Deuteronomy is, the, is, is quoted more times than any other book in the New Testament by Jesus and by the other writers of the New Testament. The book of Deuteronomy um, is quoted more times, specifically Jesus when he was tempted by Satan three times. All three quotes of Jesus, for it is written, for it is written, for it is written, come out of um, the pages of Deuteronomy. 
And so we, we pick it up in chapter 3. And it says, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle in Edrei. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and all the land into your hands. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, it says, Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. I love the word there, shall. I always spell it. S-H-A-L-L. He shall direct your path. Not might, not maybe. He shall direct your paths. And there's a prescription that's laid out in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. When I was a new believer, I was at Calvary Chapel um, in Hemet called Calvary Chapel Val Vista. Pastor Cliff Watson, who was really like my first pastor that was a friend of mine, knew my name, and I'd been in a big church in, in, in L.A. before that for, for a couple months after getting saved. And um, and so I was talking to my pastor about um, something, asking for some advice, and he wouldn't tell me. He said, go home and read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I'm like, okay. So I go home. And I read Proverbs chapter 3. I skip chapter 4. I read chapter 5. And I read chapter 6. I have no idea what he's talking about. So I go back, whatever it was. And I was like, I was like, I, I tried. Did I miss something? You said read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I'm not sure why I was supposed to skip chapter 4. But I read chapter 3. I read chapter 5. And I read chapter 6. And he, he said, no, I meant chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. But it, it it's a... It's a it's a mantra, really, for us as Christians. It's a prescription, and, and sometimes you get to a fork in a road, and sometimes you, you're desiring. And one of the most difficult things for us as Christians is, how, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do in every situation? And there comes a time where they say God waits till the 11th hour to show up, and sometimes He does. But there's so many times the reality is God waits until 3 o'clock in the morning when the thing has already passed and you needed an answer and you you were freaked out and it was beyond time. And he still waited three more hours to show up. He waited till Lazarus was dead for four days before he showed up to raise him from the dead. Four days. And and that, that wasn't the 11th hour. That wasn't three in the morning. That was four days later by the time he showed up. But sometimes... In discerning God's will, this is what we always apply to my lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding is the first part. Acknowledge the Lord in, in all your ways, in all your decisions. So, so I, I don't want to lean on my own intellect. That's one of the reasons why um, I, I, I think that speaking in tongues and praying in tongues is such a great gift because it bypasses your intellect. You, 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 when you pray in English and you pray with thought, you pray with the way you process information. And when you pray in the Spirit and you pray in an unknown tongue, you bypass your intellect and you're able to pray um, apart from your intellect. So he says, first bypass your intellect and, and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways and I will direct your path. I shall direct your path. And so, um, God, what is your will? Acknowledge him. You know, ask him for direction. And then you may come to that why in the road and he hasn't spoke clearly yet. You're like, you feel duped. Like, well, here I am, Lord. I asked. I did what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 said. I've put it in your hands. I leaned not on my own understanding. I didn't get out of scale and put the pros and the cons on the scale because we never do that as believers. There's only one thing that goes on the scale of life. What is that? God's will, right? God's will in every decision. Not not where should I live in Tooele or Hawaii. Well, there's a beach in Hawaii and palm trees and pineapples and there's snow and Twilights in in, in Twila and um, we we don't we don't want to right we don't put those things on the scale because if it's not God's will for you to live in Hawaii you're going to go and sit on the beach in Hawaii and your life's going to be miserable because God's called you to be in Twila and so um, what is God's will in every situation and so um, seeking and knowing God's will. And then, and then we be obedient to that. We follow what God's will is for our lives. And so in, in this thing, God's will was that they were supposed to take these certain places. Now, there was giants in the land. There was fights to, to be had. There was wars to be fought that they, they couldn't win. You know, I, I should probably look into it um, a, a little more. But um, as you study Israel's history, what you find is they, they didn't have 
um, weapons, metal weapons and swords and, and those types of things until, until King David or Saul, technically. Saul and Jonathan and the army of Israel were the only ones at the time that had um, weapons of steel. They, they each had a sword, but the rest of the Israelites didn't have them. When, when they wanted to sharpen the, the goads on their plows, they had to take them to, to the Philistines, to, to Gaza or one of the other Philistine cities to have the Philistines with their technology sharpen the metal instruments that they used for farming. And then later in Israel's his, history, obviously, they, they, they developed the technology and had them. But as, as these, this group of people, the children of Israel, 40 years, what weapons did they fashion? What, what, what kind of primitive things did God send them into these battles with? You know, in the New Testament, he said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. And no doubt these were sheep among wolves. But with God's will and God's favor, they were going to go in and take these lands. So let's look at verse 4. It says, And we took, just because God said we were going to, we took all his cities that time, at that time. And there was not a city which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the region of Ergob, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. And all these cities we fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many, many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them. And we did to to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. So that that particular line, verse 6, look at verse number 6. What does it say there? Who did they kill? Everybody. Everybody up in her. They, they killed everybody in the club, right? So everybody got, I mean, they killed men, women, children. So we read past that line, boop, boop, boop. but then if we stop and you think of being a soldier in, 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 in the army and you got to pull the trigger or put the spear, it's it, it, right. It's, 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 it's very difficult. It's very difficult to justify. It's very difficult to justify these things. And, and that's why, and we'll see several places here where, where the enemies of God or, or, or people who, you know, so many of the atheists memorize these verses in the Old Testament and, and every time you tell them God is a God of love and, and compassion and mercy, they want to quote one of these verses to you and um, and it is as Christian people, it's it's difficult to understand but uh, I, I've shared on it many times and but it is important just to realize with the Canaanites for example 400 years and the Bible tells us in two different places that God um, spared them and um, for 400 years he tried to get them to change and repent for 400 years, he poured his spirit out upon them, and they didn't change, and it became a cancer. Now, um, at some point, if a nation, if a group of people has become a cancer, and the, and the children that they're having are being trained and raised to hate and to murder and to kill and to be vile, and, 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 they're, they're, and, and by God's foreknowledge and wisdom, he sees the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, and, and maybe not all of them, but 85% of them or 90 or maybe it gets to 100 where, where, where they grow up, they, they're, they're an enemy of God their entire life, they die and go to? Where do they go, people? They go to hell. And, and, and at some point, when these, when these cancers grow and grow and grow, is it not God's mercy or God's grace that he cuts these, these off? And with the Canaanites, it, it seems very, very, um, these, this Canaanites is, is this group of people that, that, the, that the nation of Israel took over. But God does tell us and he warns that for 400 years, the entire time that, Egypt, that, that the nation of Israel was in captivity in, in Egypt, God was, God was trying to reach these people, and he couldn't reach them for 400 years. And then when he came through, they became a, a cancer. And what do you have to do with cancer? Get some of it. You got to get it all. You got to get it all because it spreads, and it's a cancer. And, 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 and rabies, you know, if, if you have a dog that has rabies, and you put that dog down, is it cruel? It's not cruel. If you have a, if you have a horse that has to be put down, is it... Is it cruel? Yeah, I mean, you have to do it, right? Did I tell you about the, the, the pastor and his deacon who went hunting? And the pastor and a deacon went hunting. And have I told you guys this before? The, yes. 
You heard this already? All right, I'll spare you. It's kind of long. A pastor and a deacon, I'll do the quick version. A pastor and a deacon went hunting, and they, they drive, you know, way out from the, the hours away, and they get to the area where they normally hunt. There's all these signs posted, no hunting, no hunting. And so they, they're getting ready to leave. They're, they traveled all this way, and there's one farm there. And the pastor says, we drove all this way. Let's go knock on that door and ask that farmer if we can hunt on his land. And the deacon says, pastor, he said, that that farm belongs to mean old farmer Joe. He's the meanest old coot you ever met in your life. There's no way he's going to let us hunt on his land. Wasting time. Pastor said, well, I'm already out here. I'm going to go ask him anyway. So he goes up and the pastor knocks on the door and mean old farmer Joe rips the door open and his eyes get real big and he says, Pastor! Pastor Chris! Whatever his name was. You're here. I can't believe it. What are you doing at my house? Honey, you'll never believe who's at the front door. We listen to your program on the radio every day. I can't believe you're here. And he said, well, me and my deacon, we went and we traveled and the, you know, we can't hunt. We're wondering if we can hunt on your property. And he said, of course you can hunt on my property. It'd be an honor to have you hunt on my property. And he said, pastor, he said, can I talk to you while you're here? And the pastor said, well, okay, sure. And he said, he said, I have a horse. And he said, I've had that horse for 25 years. And he said, that horse needs to be put down. And yesterday I went out to put that horse down and he said, I couldn't do it. He said, I just couldn't do it. He said, when, when you guys go hunting, we put that horse down for me. It needs to be put down. And the pastor said, okay, I can do that for you. And so he turns around and he decides he's going to play a joke on his deacon. And he says, you're right. That's the meanest old coot I ever met in my life. And he goes and he pulls his gun out of the pickup and he walks over and he shoots one of his, one, shoots that horse. And the deacon's like, He's turning around to see the surprised look on the deacon's face and he hears, boom, boom, boom. And he turns around and the deacon's like, hurry up, pastor. I got two of his cows. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so what that has to do with the Canaanites being uh, man, woman, and child being slaughtered, I'll never know. But um, but definitely the two things to just to remember in your theology. Number one, God is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? God is not a different God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We, we see different pictures of God. Definitely, when Jesus died on the cross and the Holy Spirit was given, um, things changed. We live, we, we, the, the entire dispensation of human history changes at the cross. Previously, we lived under the law. After the cross, we live under grace. And, and we, we were forgiven. And God's judgment was, um, you know, different in, in the Old Testament and things. The law was different. But the God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the same yesterday and today forever. We don't have a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament. And what you find as you study the Old Testament, as I've pointed out many times, is that the heart of God in the Old Testament is to know His people and have relationship with them. And, and his, his, his commandments in the Old Testament were to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul. That was His commandment in the Old Testament. His commandment in the New Testament is to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So here we have, but like in verse 6, we have some of these verses that can be hard to understand or hard to receive. But God is good. And again, last thing I guess I could add to that is in the foundation of your Christian faith and in your theology, you have to have this as a base. God is good. God is good. And when you don't understand and when you don't um, get things, no, no matter what, everything, this is what the Bible says. And listen, you have to put this in your heart. You have to believe this. Listen. Everything that God does is righteous and true. That's what the Bible says. Everything that God does is what? Righteous and true. That's the truth. So so killing men, women, and children here, guess what that is? It's righteous and true. It's righteous and true. It's righteous and true. It's righteous and true. Verse 7, But all the livestock and the spoil in the cities we took as booty for ourselves. You, you guys thought that pirates came up with that word booty, huh? I have a pirate flag in my bedroom and it says, surrender the booty. And at that time we took plunder the booty. I was going to say, what if we don't have a plunder in it? (laughs) That's a different house. I don't know what you guys got going on over there. (laughs) You said you said plunder. Oh, your book says, I thought the flag, I thought you were saying the flag in your pirate flag in your bedroom says plunder. (laughs) Plunder. They took it as plunder. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites 
and were on this side of the Jordan, the river Arnon, the Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Sirion, and the Amorites call it Sinar. All the cities of the plains, all Gilead and, and all Bashan, as far as Salak, Idriel, cities of the kingdoms of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, managed, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Rabbah, the people of Ammon? Nine cubits its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard of a cubit. Anybody know what the standard of a cubit is? I've taught you this, right? From your elbow to your fingertip, the average man's hand to elbow is 18 inches, is the standard of a cubit. So 18 inches, 9 times 18 divided by 12. 9 times 18 divided by 12 is 13 and a half feet. So this guy's bed was 13 and a half feet by 4 cubits. Again, 4 times 18 divided by 12 is 6 feet. So six, it was 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide. The first king-size bed. Not a cow king either. This, this, was the, this was the real deal. So it brings up two things here. Really, the, the Bible talks about multiple times giants. Um, the worst decision I ever made in my life. I don't have, to, I don't have like young couple in here. I was going to give you some good advice. But we, Lydia and I bought a queen-size bed when we first got married. And a queen-size bedroom set. And, you know, and then we started having kids and... I think in our first house, a king wouldn't fit. And then it was too hard to, to, to upgrade to a king because it wasn't just the bed and the mattress. It was the, everything else that went with it. And, and oh, my gosh. So we've been in a queen. To this day, we're in a queen-size bed. And, you know, it used to be we love how the kids in the bed. And, you know, now it's like get a king-size bed. Start there. Um, so this guy had a king-size bed. I'm telling you all kind of good stories today, huh? Flags, beds. Um. But listen, the, the, here's the deal. The, the Bible says that, that, there was, that there was giants on the land. This describes a guy. It doesn't tell us how tall he was. Now, Goliath was a giant who wasn't as large as this man here. This guy's bed was almost 14 feet long. So, you know, maybe you got a little bit of room on either side. This could be a 12, could be a 13-foot tall human being. And, and Goliath was um, just short of 10 feet tall. Was, he was a, Goliath was a small guy compared to some of these giants. The, um, look what it says at the end of, of the verse. Um, actually, it doesn't say it. It's in the margin. I'm, saw, I'm sorry. The Hebrew word for giant there is Rephaim. Okay, a Rephaim is a Hebrew term for giant. Another, another term we get for giants in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 6, and they're called the Benaiah Elohim. And the Benaiah Elohim are the sons of God who intermarried with the, the daughters of men and had an offspring that was demonic. Um, that Those were giants in the land. This is not the, the Benaiah Elohim because why? Because the Benaiah Elohim and the giants in the time of Noah were what? They were destroyed in the flood, every one of them. 100% of them, right? How many people made it through the flood? eight people. So somewhere from those eight people, as God began to populate the earth again, this giant gene, it, 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 it was still alive somewhere in the DNA of one of these people. And, 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 and again, giants began to populate because we see giants. Obviously, Goliath was a giant. Here we have where, where, where when um, Joshua and Caleb brought back report in the 12 spies, there was giants in the land. So the, the, the point being this, if, if the Bible says that there was giants in the land, would, would then would not, you know, need to find in um, archaeology and antiquities proof that there were giants in the, in the land? Or there were giants here on earth? And, and, and what do we find? Have we ever found the remains or the bones of giants in, in the land? All the time. All the time. Go, go Google it if you want to. You can see them. They just found some superhuman giant bones. Uh, I forget in which country it was in, uh, Egypt or something. And um, huge, huge human beings with their skulls and their bones of, of 12 to 15 foot tall um, skeletal remains of giants. And so they're all over. We find giant, giant bones and, and the remnants of giants because it's true. Because the Bible is true. And, it, and since it's true, and if it's true, then, then archaeology is going to support it. You know, and again, none of the other religious books have that kind of 
um, history or archaeological support. As a matter of fact, they fall so short in so many of those areas. Every coin that the Bible talks about, we found somewhere. All the characters that are mentioned by name are, are found in history and in antiquity. And, and the civilizations, the societies, the, the, the wars, the, you know, the, like I talked about already, the, the lack of iron um, in, in, in this stage. It's, it's all there. And then we go to verse 12 and it says, And this land which we possessed at that time from Aor, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountain of Gilead, and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. So real quick, just make a mental note there. This king of Og of Bashan, this giant, or this um, Rephaim, he survives, right? That's, that's what Moses tells us. He was the only one that survived. So we, we have giants that survived because years later, at the time of King David, what do we find? We find more giants. And, and, and Goliath had four brothers. There was five in his family, five boys in his family, male giants. Verse 13, the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to half the tribe of Manasseh, the region of Argob, with the Bashan, which was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and, and the, and the Machathites and the Bashan after his own name, Havoth, Jair, to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Machir and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, and I gave them Gilead as far as the river Arnon, in the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabok and the border of the people of Ammon. The plain also with the Jordan and the border of... Verse 23 says, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servants your greatness and your mighty hand for what... God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on, you can underline this, your account, and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more of me in this matter. I feel good. I feel godly now when I tell my kids or my wife, enough of that. Because that's what God told Moses. Enough of that. So th- th- this was a, uh, a, a sensitive area of Moses' heart. Now, now, God, again, everything that God does is what? Righteous and true. So, so this judgment of Moses was righteous and true. But the very fact that Moses has already brought it up once, he's bringing it up again here. He's going to bring it up again in the next chapter. He's going to bring it up again at the end of the book. It was, it was a definitely a, a sensitive part. And, and as you go through this, and I don't know, I never read this or heard this anywhere else, but one of the things that I don't see in Moses recounting this is any kind of real repentance. Now, whether that would have mattered or not, or whether God's decision was already firm, um, but, but here, Moses is saying why he's not allowed to go in, and who is he blame? And every time he recounts this, he blames them. Now, Moses, the Bible tells us, was the most humble man that ever lived, right? So Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. Besides Jesus Christ, it was perfect. But, but Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. And we know that because Moses told us how humble he was. But, but it doesn't mean Moses was perfect. He, had a, he, had a, he walked in humility with his God, as the Bible says. But, but here, you know, he's blaming the people. And he's saying, on your account, because of you suckers, because of you fools, I can't go in. And then finally God said, Moses, that's enough. Don't speak to me of this no more. The answer is no. And, 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 and how many of us in our own walk, in our own life, you know, and if God may, may need to, to tell you firmly, shut your mouth, sucker. Stop whining. Stop whining. The answer is no. You know, God says no often, right? God says no. God, God answers every prayer, but some of those answers are no. And if he says no, it's for good reason. The same reason you tell your kids no. Well, that and because you're just a bad parent and mean. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, you, sometimes you have a good reason to tell your kids no, right? And, 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 and that you have to teach them how to accept no as an answer. That's part of parenting. And that's part of God being your God is, is that no sometimes is the answer he has for you. He says in verse 27, Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. And behold... Hold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. I don't know what's up with that. So go look at it, but you ain't going to get it. You're never going to go in, but go look it a couple times. And you're going to taste it, but you're gonna, not going to get it. Go check it out, but you ain't going in. The answer is no. 
But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Not only do you not go in, but you got to go and encourage Joshua and tell him how awesome it's going to be that he gets to go in and lead the people. And so in chapter 4, chapter 4 is such a powerful chapter. Again, the book of Deuteronomy just has so many nuggets. And I, I don't... In this particular Bible, this is my teaching Bible. And so when I'm like, if I'm listening to a sermon, I don't, I don't write notes in this Bible because I don't want them to get in the way of somewhere that I'm trying to make a note to teach or something. And so I have other Bibles. This is, this is just my reading Bible, my devotion Bible. And um, I, I highlight all over this thing and, and mark it up and write on it. And, um, but I have one verse highlighted in this Bible. And, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 4. And it just it's just that. I don't know. It's just one of my... I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. But this this chapter is very powerful. So many things in this chapter. Um, we we are going to try to uh, get through it tonight. We'll hurry. One of the things we're going to try to do for you guys, and really appreciate you guys coming out on Wednesday nights. And you know, the heart of Wednesday night is to is to again take some chunks of the Bible. And 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 again, I think as we grow in our Christian faith, and as we try to get grounded in our Christian faith, now there, there's times where where teaching is 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 supposed to is meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be motivating. But there's also times where you take precepts and you take concepts and you take chunks and you you teach and you learn. And, and you have to have both. And so Wednesday nights is a time where, you know, we take those chunks and, and really, I think we, you know, in some churches, in some places, I don't want to be guilty of it. You, you can, you, you can miss some of these, the, the power and the, the life changing effect of knowing these Bible stories and these Bible verses in the Old Testament and, and being able to apply them. So, um. But one of the things that we want to do on Wednesday nights, too, is we know that Wednesday nights is a long day and people are working hard and got to work tomorrow. And so we're going to try to shorten the, the session a little bit, give you guys some time at the end to um, fellowship and eat four-day-old donuts that we got put out over there. And, um, you know, just hang out a little bit. So we'll try to uh, – we, we, I have a normal count now. i got my countdown clock. If I catch anybody looking over their shoulder, then uh, I'm going to keep some things up here in the pulpit I'll throw at you. Um, I don't listen to it anyways, but it is up there to give me like a, a, a general idea. And we've, we've shortened our time on Wednesday nights just to let you guys know, to try to um, appreciate you guys a little bit for coming out and getting in the Old Testament with us. Chapter 4 says, Now, O Israel, listen to the status and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, your Father, is giving you. There, there's a... Um, there's, there's a repeated promise and um, mantra, maybe it's a bad word. There, there's a repeated theme, instruction in the Old Testament from multiple different writers, um, from the psalmist, from Joshua, from Moses. And, and, and it basically is, says the same thing. And Moses is going to repeat it over and over and over again in chapter 4. My favorite one, and again, it's in Joshua chapter 1. It's in Psalm chapter 1. My favorite one is Psalm. It says, Blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and upon it he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of many waters that bear forth its fruit in due season. And so the promise is if you'll take the word of God and you'll put it into your life day and night, that, that the, what will come out of your life is is, is things will go well with you. God will bless you. You will have the, the Bible actually uses the word success and prosperity in your life. And the prescription is if you meditate on the word of God and you, and, 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 and he doesn't just say meditate on the word of God in every place that it's mentioned, there's a qualifier with meditate on the word of God. It says, if you meditate on the word of God and be careful to do all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. And so that is, um, in a nutshell, what, what is being said multiple times through the Old Testament, um, and just, just kind of communicated in several different ways. And that, that basically is, is what Moses is going to communicate to us multiple times here in chapter 4. Listen, if you'll do what God tells you to do, if you'll take the precepts, and whenever you see the word precept, concept, commandments, um, there's like seven or ten different um, words that are used basically to mean the same thing. It is the Word of God is what it's saying. It's the Bible is, is basically, uh, for today, is what it says, what it means. If you'll take the Bible, the Word of God, the things in the Word of God, and you'll apply them to your life, you'll have prosperity. In verse 2 it says, You shall not add to the Word which I command you, nor take 
from it that it may keep the that, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So, uh, really quick, verse number two: You shall not add to the word. Anybody? Is that difficult for anybody here to understand? Is it Chinese? Nine. That's not Chinese. That's German. Um, is is it German? It, it, it's simple, right? You shall not add to it. You shall not take away from it. And so every, um, you know, commentary mentions certain group of people that I'm sensitive to talk about here. And so um, that, that this is there. But listen, this particular commandment is given multiple times. And, and, and so many times it said, oh, well, it's only talking about that book or that place. But um, it's, it's repeated in here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse, in verse 3. It's repeated in Revelation chapter 21 uh, or 22, 18 at the end of the book. Galatians chapter 1. God does not want us to take away. And Moses is telling the people the, the, the concepts, the precepts, the commandments of God that are laid out in the word. Don't add to them. Don't take them away. Don't try to make them fit your culture. Don't try to be relevant with them. Take them as they were. They're good until I come back. It is the word of God. Uh, Rob Bell, who is a Christian pastor, um, was on Oprah recently. And he said that the church is going to be way better when we stop getting stuck in letters that are 2,000 years old to govern the church. Speaking because because Oprah Winfrey is very vocal towards um, homosexuality and what the Bible says, whether it's it's a sin to be to be a homosexual. And in dealing with this, he he was basically saying that that the culture and the times that we live in today dictate something different. And we need to take the word of God. And and it's it's letters from 2000 years ago that are that are outdated, basically Um, famous pastor, you know, rock star pastor who makes it onto Oprah and and uh, we'll get invited back, <laughs> you know. Some some pastors, hopefully, you got invited on Oprah. You won't get invited back by the time it's over. But you did a much better job if you never get invited back. But um, but repeated. So um, you know, sometimes we can add to the Word of God by traditions, right? So many times, um, tradition. The one I pick on all the time, just because it's easy and you all know it. But the organ, the the organ was. Um, not around during the time of Jesus, right? Like they didn't play the fancy organ at at churches that Jesus went to or churches that Paul or Peter started. Some point later, and I don't know at what year, but in some year, the organ was brought into the church. And when the organ was brought into the church that year, that day, that Sunday, it was a change. It was different from how they were last week. And I'm sure there was scuttle over, oh, what are we doing? Are we bringing that organ into church? And, you know, and there was all this fight over bringing this, this instrument into the church. But what happened, right, What was the organ then became the anointed cherub, the anointed instrument that God approved of in, in church. And then when we brought drums later and electric guitars and um, different instruments into the church, um, they, they were unapproved, but again, that is a tradition of men. It's not prescribed in the Word of God. Really, what the Word of God prescribes, we still don't do it right, because it says that we're supposed to have the loud cymbal and timbrel and harp and lure, and we're supposed to dance. And, 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 and that's the prescription that God gave for, for worship and what's accepted. And so we have so many traditions. We just have to be careful, right? Um, you know, as far as a suit and tie goes, that's, that's a tradition of man. And I'm not saying that it's wrong or that it's it's right to be a different way, but just as long as, hey, I like to wear a suit and tie, I think it's reverent, I think that, that, that it honors God, I think it's how we should dress in church, great. Just as long as it doesn't become, this is what, it, it is, is, it's sin not to do it. Because this is what the Bible said. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about how you dress. Nowhere in the Bible, other than modesty for women, does, is there a prescription in the New Testament for how you're supposed to dress when you attend church? There, and, and so just it's tradition of men. You, you, you can have an idea, but the Bible says man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. And so we have all these traditions that came. You know, there's a funny tradition, but a true story. Um, for so many years in the Protestant church, church on Sunday began at 11, p, 11 a.m. That was the time you did church. And, and, and 
Luther, who was a reformist who done, who had done so much for the church, was in Germany. He was a pastor there, and you know the statement, the uh, uh, thesis statement he stapled on the on the door, and all those things. And but Luther in Germany, as a pastor, he liked to go to the pub on Saturday night and talk theology and have a have a pint or two, and and, and he would um, he would only have church. He was only doing church on Sunday nights. And, and, and he'd sleep in, he'd spend Sunday to prepare for his sermon, and he'd go Sunday night and he would preach. And they said, our Lord rose early in the morning on Sunday. We have to have a, a morning service. And he didn't want to do it because he liked hanging out in the pub on Saturday night and hanging out with the fellas and having a pint. And, and so he picked 11 o'clock because that was the latest that he could make it and still be considered morning. And then years and years and years and years later when that all passed, Somehow it became a tradition of men that that was the time that the Protestant church was supposed to meet on Sunday morning was 11 o'clock. That's not where it came from. So just, just, and even for us, you know, just, just being careful. Lord, what, what do we do that, that's a tradition of man? And we could be guilty. We could be very guilty right in this church, right me personally, the way we do things. We do things that are traditions of men and not, and, and that's adding to the word of God. And just being careful and, and maybe doing an overhaul every once in a while and seeking places where, um, where are we maybe doing things or, or having things that are not prescribed in the word. You know the type of worship that God accepts? It's the worship that he prescribes. So, so there's a right way to do it, definitely. God prescribes a certain worship, a certain um, um, type of worship. And that's, that's the, the worship that he accepts. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament to worship in spirit and in truth. So don't add. Don't take away. Make, write those things. Galatians chapter 1, Revelation 22, 18. Um, Mark 7, real quick. I, I just um, try to hurry, but I, I don't think I can skip this one or let this one go. In Mark chapter 7, we're, we're, we're not done. You guys got about nine minutes left. In Mark chapter 7, listen, listen to what um, it says. Then the Pharisees, verse 1, some of the scribes came together to him, having come to Jerusalem. And now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the defiled, fi- that, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a specific way, holding the tradition of the elders. So this was a tradition of the elders. It had nothing to do with the word of God or God's will. And it was something that they were they were mad at Jesus and his followers because they didn't do it. And it wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's prescription. It was a tradition, an organ, a, a, a tie, a suit that was passed down that was the right way to do it. But it wasn't prescribed by the word of God. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines as as the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And many other such things he said you do. And he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so the the point there, he says, you have, listen, you have made the word of God of no effect through your traditions. And that's exactly what religion does. That's exactly what happens when you take away and you add to the word of God. When you add another gospel, when, when Paul warns us in Galatians that if even if an angel of light preached to us another gospel, gospel, let him be an anthema, let him be accursed. And then you have to you have to throw that out and you have to you have to take that and you have to take revelation and you have to take Deuteronomy and all these things and you have to rewrite them or, or, or make them something that they're not. And in effect, when you when you don't take the entire word of God and make it as it says um, in, in, in Timothy, that it's it, it's good for instruction and righteousness and correction and reproof um, and all doctrine is inspired. 
then, then if, if you don't take that view of the inerrant word of God, then, then you, you really make the Bible of no effect. Here's a Bible. I don't know which part is true and which is not. I know it has errors. Uh, you can't really trust it all. But, but, and you can't really use it to guide your life. So, you know, but here it is. Well, what am I going to do with that? Who's going to tell me what part's translated correctly and what's not? Who's going to tell me what, what part of it is, is, is good and what part is not? And, and so I've made the word of God of no effect, as Jesus said, because it just it doesn't have the power without. Now, it could be of effect as long as I have other things to go with it that help me interpret it, understand it, believe it, know what part to believe and what part not to believe. And so, um, you know, the warning is there. It's in Deuteronomy. Mark it. You can bring it up. It gets explained away, um, as does Revelation and as does Galatians chapter 1, but it, it's in there. And now we get to... Um, Verse 3, there's no way I'm going to finish. I was going to try to finish 4 tonight. Um, okay. Um, but let, let's may, maybe let's get to 14. Can we? Get the, maybe we'll try to get to verse 14. All right, it says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who follow Baal Peor. So listen, real quick. You guys know the history of what happened at Baal Peor? Numbers chapter 21, 22, 23, 24, culminated in 25. 24,000 Jews die at, at, at Beth Peor. Balaam was a, was a bad king. Israel was going to come in. They were conquering. And so he was afraid. So he went and he found this guy named Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of the Lord. He said, I want you to come. I'm going to make you very rich. And I want you to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam showed up. Um, he began to prophesy, and as he prophesied, um, only blessing came out. And Balak said, man, I'm going to make you a very rich guy. What are you doing blessing the people? I brought you here to curse my enemy, and you're blessing them. And he said, okay, let me try again. And he goes back, and a second time he tries again. He comes, he says, look, I, 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 can't, I can't curse the people. God has blessed them. I can only speak what God said. And he said, well, man, you blew it. I was going to make you so rich. I was going to give you so much money and gold and all this other stuff. And so Balaam, wheels start turning, and Balaam says, okay, here, check it out, King Balak. I want to collect that money. But listen, I can't prophesy curse over them. God, God won't allow it. He's only going to bless them. But here, here's what I can do. I can teach you how to have God curse them. He said, you bring your women and you have them scantily clad and you have them um, go and, and, and go through the camps of Israel and in, induce the young, in, induce, like they're in labor or something. What's that? Seduce, that'll be a better word. Let's have them seduce, not induce. Seduce the young men as, as they go through, and the young men will, will have, have sexual relations with them, and they'll commit sin, and God will have to judge them for their sin. And that's exactly what happened. They, the women, the girls came through. They sent them through. They invited them to go to church at the pagan temples. And the young Hebrew boys were starting to go to church. And the men were going and following these pagan women to the Hebrew temple or to the pagan temples and worshiping. And then God cursed them and 24,000 of, of them died in, in the curse of Balak that it's mentioned. That's what's mentioned in verse 4. Um, in verse 3. And then in verse 4, listen. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today every one of you but you who held fast to the Lord your God today you live today you live for those of you that held fast in the Lord for those of you who did what I'm going to tell you to do for the rest of this chapter the rest of this book so many times too many to count what I've already started to tell you that if you'll if you'll follow the commandments of the Lord God will bless you God will take care of you God is good God is faithful and for those of you who, who pressed into the Lord, for those of you who held fast to God, you're alive today. You live today because you held fast to the things of the Lord. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. You, you, you stop running from what God wants to do in your life. It's not bad. And you will live today because you do the things that God's called you to do and told you to do in the Word of God. 24,000 people died and Moses said you are here today because you're the ones that, that that stayed away from that sin you stayed away and you listened you did the things that God called you to do but you who held fast to the Lord you're alive today do you guys know anybody that used to walk with the Lord that's not physically dead today but is spiritually dead today is 
is not walking with the Lord and his, his life is a mess and maybe drug addicted and all kinds of problems and trouble. And, and, and today you're here and, and your life's not perfect, but your life's definitely blessed because you've held fast to the things of the Lord and you've walked in the things of the Lord. Amen. All right, I guess that's all we're going to finish for tonight, you guys. Um, that's too bad, man. Chapter 4 is... All right, that's a good place to end. Chapter 4 is powerful. Um, so we're going to get it next week. I'm going to make a note here. Verse number 5. We'll pick up in 5. We're going to finish chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7 next week. Hey, I have this thing that was coming up. Let me just tell you this. Hey, do this, you guys, just for fun. One of the things that's going to say in this chapter is, is, is Moses, via right, the, the inspiration of the Lord, he calls um, Israel the great nation, a great nation, a great nation, a great nation. And so I, uh, you know, just thinking of the great nation, I looked up famous Jews in history. And, and the, the contribution to society through the, through the years from Moses to who wrote this to today some of the names that are on that list that are Jewish people in, in the inspiration that in the wisdom and the intellect and the blessing that because they're God's people, what they've contributed in the areas of everything. Four of the most influential people in that they say in in the in the world in history in four different areas are um, Darwin. Now we don't agree with them, right? But in the area of I don't even know what his area is, I don't even call it science. The other one's Albert Einstein. The other one is Sigmund Freud in the area of philosophy. And the other one is Karl Marx in the area, you know, in the area of, of, of again, philosophy. And um, I, I guess Sigmund Freud in psychology and Karl Marx in philosophy. Three of the four, and that's just a secular thing. They say these are the four most, three of the four are Jews. Darwin being the only one who wasn't a Jew. And then, and then as you go down and you just you just read through the list of all, even in Hollywood, what's amazing, the actors in comedy, in music, in so many different areas. The only place you don't see a ton of them in is in the area of the arts. And, and part of the reason why you don't in that area is because God said that you shall make no graven image after me. That, that, that they were, per, per, they were um, I guess it's time to finish. They were prohibited. They were prohibited from making graven images and, and, and things in the image of God. And so in that area that they stayed away from, you don't see them really proliferate. But in every other area of, 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 of science, of technology, of music, of medicine, of every other area, so many. I, I, you know, Bob Dylan, Steven Spielberg, my favorite, Jack Black. But just on and on and on and on and on and on in those areas. Amen? Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we pray your blessing upon each one who's come out tonight. We thank you for Exodus. Lord, I, I thank you for what a powerful book it is. And Lord, um, pray that we could just speed up a little bit and go a little faster as we can get through some of this stuff that's so important to cover. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.